Virg acknowledges the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, the traditional custodians of the land on which we work, live, and the gallery operates. We recognize that sovereignty was never ceded. We pay our respects to all First Nation people across the world with admiration of any harmonious and symbiotic relationships with land and fauna. Hi, everyone. I hope this day finds you well and in good health. My name is Tisha Malott, Director of Verge Gallery at the University of Sydney, and it is with warmth that I welcome you to Verge's podcast series, Opening Drinks. Opening Drinks brings Verge's exhibitors in conversation with fellow artists, academics, and writers for a conversation around creative practices, theories, and processes. Verge is a public art space dedicated to the presentation of contemporary art practice, and its key focus is to present interdisciplinary exhibitions from leading and emerging arts practitioners while providing the University of Sydney students, academics, and visitors an arena for critical dialogue and response. A space without borders, we encourage unique voices and viewpoints. Joe Wilson and Chanel Collier are a collaborative love team based in Sydney. They have a generative practice developing ideas and dialogue to work alongside gallery and institutional programs. They use image, object, and sound mediums influenced by peer contemporaries, international situationists, and critical media theory. Their gallery exhibition, Everything is Okay, establishes languages of resistance built around demonstrations of play and dialogue. An expression of agency is made through sound, material, actions, and words. Featuring their summer 68 artwork series of iconic tent material from pioneer André Jamais' French brand, it draws from historic French political protests and deterrent content. From this, Wilson and Collier use situation as play as a position that can be active and have the potential to divest from the labor of artwork. This exhibition brings together infrared distances and the artist's two voices to speak to the institution with criticality through care. Hello, Joe and Chanel. Thanks for coming in and chatting with me today. Hey, Tisha. Good morning. How are you both this morning? Um, I'm good. I accidentally got up an hour early, so very relaxed, very ready. <laughs> I was feeling great until I heard that artist statement. It's, it's quite a lot in there. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what is it? A famous thing that everybody always says, there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just not unpack it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. So I think we're going to start with the formal questions. Um, it is only 9 a.m. in the morning, and I can see you both are impeccably dressed as usual. I feel this reflects the considered nature of your work and collaboration. In my view, your collaboration is tight and flawless, and I was wondering how long you've been practicing together. Uh, we've been practicing together officially for around five years, and before that, we both had separate practices, but we were always in communication. Oh, great, because you are also a um, a partnership in life as well as in practice. We're in love. Uh, <laughs> well, you're a love team. <laughs> <laughs> and is that how long you've been together then? It's been the five years? Like, the, I guess, the has the partnership in art been as long as the partnership in life? I feel like we shouldn't answer that joke because it just makes us seem really old. That's what Chanel always says. It just, <laughs> like, give, a, give or take an extra 10 years, you know. <laughs> exactly. We've been together about 15 years. Oh, wow. That's great. That's a really nice partnership. And um, it's nice to hear that partnerships can last that long uh, in today's day and age. So you've used the phrase criticality through care when speaking about the institution and then the exhibition essay. 
What does this phrase mean to you? It means uh, to me personally, it's about approaching systems that I might find uncomfortable, like through the lens of my practice with some kind of like love and care and gentleness rather than like a forceful kind of resistance. So being critical of the systems that I'm approaching, even if they're uncomfortable with some kind of um, a caring attitude. And Joe, is that how you feel as well? Uh, I think uh, the idea of criticality through care is is just conjoining like two separate sort of modes. Criticality, which might be usually seen as uh, adversarial or uh, I guess especially when linked to the idea of critique um, and institutional critique. Um, but care implies uh, trying to create an additive kind of atmosphere where you're generating something uh, in partnership with the institution uh, because the institution itself is made up by lots of individual arts workers and and it's realising that uh, it's a relational exchange between lots of different subjective bodies. And so in that way, we're not, not seeking to create divides or enemies or <laughs> adversaries. Uh, and I guess, Joe, is that why um, in the exhibition that you use that device, which is the the rails around the exhibition? Because I remember you speaking about this as well um, in that curatorial essay that you have alongside the exhibition. I guess that institutional critique. Yeah, there's quite a bit in that little rail, probably just because I've overthought it. But uh, in very simple terms, it's a chair rail, which is a, like a architectural you know, uh, feature in old homes to protect walls. And in a way it's used to bring the domestic into the white cube setting to, I mean, I even use the term, like you contaminate the the sort of the false promise of a neutral ideological space by, by bringing a loaded ideological space of the domestic space into that world. Yeah, that's great. Um, you've referenced Guy Debord and the spectacle as an important passageway through which one can read the meaning behind your work. Debord once said, where the real world changes into simple images, the simple images become real beings and effective motivations of hypnotic behavior. I've sensed that your Instagram account, Joan Chanel, has played an important role in the lead up and throughout the exhibition with many images of the gallery, people and works posted. And so I was hoping you might consider Debord's statement while speaking to us about your actions in this space. I think Guy Debord talks about, I mean, one of his most simple statements is that uh, the spectacle is the social relationships mediated by images and social media is literally the embodiment of that. And, and a good way of looking at it is the way that our addiction to social media, the way that we look at our phone in the morning or when we're idle impacts our social relationship with each other and the world. And we frame and lens ourselves through these mediums. And so I actually feel I have a very complicated relationship with Instagram, except uh, it's also feels somewhat mandatory within our profession. Hmm. It feels like you use it quite successfully. Um, I've just noticed that the shots are like very stylized. I, I feel like it is a really wonderful way like to extend your practice. Well, honestly, um, I kind of leave a lot of the Instagramming to Joe because I do feel like it's something, as Joe said, that we kind of just have to do um, as artists. And I don't find the medium particularly sincere. 
So I actually really struggle to use it in a way that I find um, compelling or comfortable um, because there's like, I guess like just layers of distance and like, I and I think that's partly to do with the modes of communication, the way that everything is like um, contracted and shortened. For instance, like there's often like not like long form text or like conversations, which is the thing that I really hope to get out of having an art practice. Um, so, I mean, it's interesting to try to inject those things. Um, but I think that frustration with it actually also kind of comes through in the work a little bit because as a contrast, the, a lot of the work that we do tries to like bring in a lot of people and voices and dialogue and generative exchange. Um, and I hope that does filter through to the Instagram, but I don't necessarily believe that it's made for that. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah, that's perfect. Uh, thanks, Chanel. And um, I guess in the exhibition, um, one might notice that there is a stack of folded flags uh, and a randomly placed hobby kite. Both are constructed from the same flower printed um, materials that you use throughout the show. Uh, Joe, you've mentioned that the objects presented us with the possibility for future action. And this idea of future action is a new direction in your work. Um, I'm interested in hearing more about this. Yeah, the, the development of the Verge show had kind of been not locked in, but was, uh, we had a good idea of where we were going and, and we were really like uh, getting into that work about four months ago. But over that four months, we've also been doing other residencies and uh, Chanel and I are in constant dialogue around like what the practice is for. And, and one of the things that we've honed in on probably in the last six months is just a really strong feeling about uh, the idea of doing over making of that action over like an enduring object. So uh, I guess, and it has to do with our interest in and how we use our labor uh, so as artists, it's the idea that what we're actually doing is where the art is located in the use of our body and our time, as opposed to the thing that we make and maybe put on a wall. It's like an object in waiting. It's ready to go do something and be active again. And do you, I believe in a way are open to audience members interacting physically with these objects as well. Is that correct? Uh, it's always hard to say. I think so. I think, uh, I'm not sure. I guess it hasn't been tested yet. <laughs> I would kind of like to just see what happens. I feel like it's just also a process of just um, thinking about an art practice as exactly that. If yeah. like you put something in a space and someone uses it, then you go, oh, okay, well, how's that feel? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of odd because in sometimes when you'll put an object in the gallery space, people, I mean, if you, if it's interactive and it's meant to be interactive, it's really hard to push someone to interact with it because we're so conditioned to stand back and view and to spectate rather than actually touch and feel in a gallery space. But one object in your exhibition that has drawn so much attention is the tape recorder. Um, and we've had a lot of people asking, can I press record or they're concerned it's not working um should it be on uh <laughs> can I hear what it's trying to play but this object really is unique in the way that it's not supposed to give it's supposed to take um do you want to talk a little bit about that joke because I know that's an important component to this show yeah so the cassette recorder you know it hangs in the space and it's a device that you would usually expect to have some sound coming out of 
And it kind of epitomizes that idea of, um, of doing in a way because it sits there and it's passive, it's not active. Uh, at least while, you know, if, if every time I visit the gallery, because it's my work and I'm allowed to touch it and I can move around, then I might turn it on, record, or I might just play back to hear some of the sounds. Um, so in terms of it uh, being, being an inputting device rather than outputting device, uh, it's linked to a project where we're recording inside museums around the world. And, and that project's called This Is Not A Love Song. And that recorder itself, we recorded the sounds of installing the exhibition and we recorded the sounds of the opening night, um, both on two separate tapes. I also captured some of the recent university strike noises and of you know people chanting and things and I put that into the tape as well and it's just absorbing it's sort of just being a participant in the audio space of the gallery at times but at other times it's just a thing hanging there doing nothing and I kind of like that contrast. One of the things I really like about um, the tape player specifically being something that is drawing something from the gallery space is that often like we put our labor as artists into presenting something to be consumed and this particular object that we've put in the gallery space kind of consumes the space. It kind of resists that like normative logic of like what should be should or what is normally presented. It kind of highlights all of those other objects that are like really giving the labor that you put into making your work and presenting your work to have something that doesn't do that kind of makes it more pronounced in a sense. I wouldn't mind just telling a quick anecdote about use, the use of the record, the recording device as well. We love anecdotes on this show. <laughs> <laughs> well, because while we were installing, I had it recording. And so Athena, who was helping us install, she was outside. She's using the drop saw to cut some timber. And, um, you know, we're all crashing about and doing things. But then after 45 minutes, I'd recorded a whole side of the tape. So I just rewound it and I started playing it back into the space. Um, and so we were sort of like living the same moments while performing the same actions again. And there were times where the drop saw could be heard in the tape and it was also still happening outside. And there was this sort of beautiful doubling effect of, uh, of, our, of our actions. I feel that actually really reminds me of the, the situationist notion of play, like turning the thing that you're doing in life into some kind of um, uh, moment that's outside of the normal context of life. Their notion of play being related to an actual production, having like a beginning and end that's somehow outside of like the um, continuousness of life moments. So you're brought into the presentness of your position within those moments. The tape, obviously, like you said, it's 45 minutes. It has a beginning and an end. So while listening back to the actions that you're doing, you're kind of brought into not only the thing that you're doing, but also like having done them before and stepping back out of that place while you're still in it. It's a disruptive logic that like makes you clock your position. And you might, you might not notice it until it ends. It's, it's funny with like any sort of sound that's in a space, you kind of, you forget it, but as soon as you're presented with the silence of it not being there again, it snaps you back into a reality. Speaking of which, actually, our neighbours are being really noisy right now. I can hear it coming through your recording as well. <laughs> I kind of like it, if that, may, if that helps. <laughs> <laughs> one, more, um, one more creative input. I'll just uh, start another question. Um, in current times, it's very exciting to hear when people are escaping our island for trips overseas. I feel that residencies contribute a lot to your practice, and I would love to hear about your upcoming trip to America. 
So we're going to the Vermont Studio Center, which is in a small town called Johnson in Vermont State, USA. Uh, it's only for three weeks, so it'll be quite, uh, it'll be, well, I mean, three weeks in another country always seems like a long time anyway. Uh, it should be really exciting. I mean, I don't have any interest in going to America, but uh, we've been presented with this great opportunity and fellowship to join the center and, and have accommodation and a studio there. It's also, it's an international artist residency for artists and writers. You just said, Joe, I don't have that much interest in going to America, but I feel like it's not like going to America when you go to these residencies where this is like international cohort of creatives. It's like its own little world. And that is the thing that I love about it. Everyone has a moment of pause in their own like life and work where they just work like outside of their art practice because, you know, most artists also have other jobs um, where everyone is just fully focused on their practice and their ideas. But I guess actually physically getting on the plane, sitting down, there's that memory of going somewhere. And I, it, it struck me too when I sat down, there's a, I guess there's a, a ritual almost to um, getting on a plane. And part of that ritual is the in-flight entertainment. And I was wondering, you know, are there any titles that would be on your ultimate in-flight entertainment playlist? Uh, I'll probably download an, a sci-fi audiobook. Uh, I have a great trick of I put my headphones on, I take a Valium, and I s drift in and out of uh, my book, often skipping ahead three chapters and having to wind back. And after 24 hours on a flight, I have no idea what's going on. Um, it's it's quite bizarre. And then, of course, they just bring you meals like every four hours. So. Weirdly, I feel like this, um, uh, your like ritual of like watching sci-fi and anime actually does really influence your thinking in terms of your practice. Like there's so many mornings where you've been watching anime or sci-fi all night and you wake up with a great idea. I can't help but imagine that's exactly what's going to happen when we get to this residency. You will have input all of these things during the flight <laughs> and, and come to the residency with your next dynamic move. <laughs> oh, I think that opens the... Uh... I think that opens the forum for Joe to make a kind of like an observation of Chanel. <laughs> go, go for it. Oh, Ch Chanel, Ch Chanel's great quality is she has a list a mile long um, of things to do. So a residency and a flight away is this incredible time where Chanel actually stops and starts just being Chanel with no obligations and things to do. And it's a beautiful thing to see her free up and and come into her own <laughs> that's a pretty funny answer is it I yeah that was quite i thought that was quite a nice observation oh no it is pretty cute it's probably actually the only time where i'm not doing something because i literally can't do something <laughs> well i think um yeah I, I think i think that we'll kind of leave it there you know um the point where uh, we've uh, spoken about, you know, what's next and your next um, kind of, uh, uh, I guess, opportunity um, and kind of where your work is taking uh, in the next stage. Um, so I'd like to thank you both. Uh, thanks, Joe. Thanks, Chanel. It's been great speaking with you today. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Tisha. Oh, no worries. And thanks also for participating in Verge's 2022 exhibition program. I've really enjoyed working with you both and getting to know you a little bit better. It's been great. Yeah, me too. Thanks so much for having yeah, us. Thank you. If you are looking to learn more about Everything is Okay by uh, Joe Wilson and Chanel Collier, you can check out our website, www.verge-gallery.net. 
Um, and also, I believe at some point we'll be uploading、um, some of the sounds that Joe is speaking so lovely about onto the website as well.、Um, that will be available for our audiences. Thanks for joining us today. Opening drinks are hosted by Verge Artists and produced by me, Tisha Malot. I am supported by our wonderful editor, Gabrielle Ann, and Min Wong, our media and communications coordinator. The opening drink soundtrack entitled The Creator was written and performed by the incredible Rainbow Chan. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Just check out the Verge website, verge gallery.net, for our contact information. See you next time, and until then, stay safe. You did not make me. You did not make me. You did not make me who I am.